can you imagine what it was to be a Jew in Jerusalem in the first century before Jesus, when for seven centuries, for 700 years, your father and your grandfather and everybody you knew had been waiting for the great prophecy of Isaiah that there would come a voice crying out in the wilderness who would prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. 700 years of waiting, watching, and wondering. 700 years of Advent. And then, one day, without too much warning, a strange man wearing camel's hair and eating locusts appears in the Jordan Valley and says, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. But I always wonder what I would have thought about John the Baptist. When I first came to California, there was always a man on the corner of Powell and Market shouting about salvation and the end of the world. And I could never accept the way that man carried on. And I wonder if the way I looked at that man out there yelling about the end of the world is the way I might have looked at John the Baptist. Because the problem for me about having to accept that wild man in the desert as the herald of God is that I have to ask myself, in the same way that I argued with myself about that guy in Powell Street, what that means about me. Because when you live your life carefully, when you live as righteously as you can, it's really tough. It's really tough to think about the word of God coming from someone who doesn't give a fig about your righteous ways. It's upside down. Isaiah's beautiful poetic prophecies about the coming of the word of God, every valley shall be exalted, every hill shall be made low, seems so royal, so elegant, so unlike this picture of a wild man spouting crazy talk and dipping people in the Jordan. 700 years of waiting for vindication. 700 years of waiting for exoneration. And then this. Luke's gospel starts so grandly, so imperially. Tiberius was in Rome, Pilate in Judea, Herod in Galilee, Annas and Caiaphas in the temple. We think that we're going to hear something about God being there, but we do not. We do not hear that. The Jews expected to hear that God would be coming in a way which would astonish and vanquish the imperial splendor of Rome. The herald of God would at least be as splendid as Annas and Caiaphas, would he not? We hear instead that the word of God came to an unknown man wearing camel's hair and eating strange food in the desert. And that man in the desert was talking about repentance and many, many, many people streamed out of the cities just so that he could baptize them. Repent, he says, turn back. Once again, an extraordinarily difficult message. Imagine how that is. A righteous Jew, keeping all the religious laws, waiting and hoping in that miserable, crushing Roman occupation of Judea, who hears that he, and not Rome, is called to repent. This from a strange man who became a cult leader so quickly, he made everybody in the government quake. So what was John talking about? Of what did the Jews need to repent? Of what do we need to repent? Surely the Jews hated the oppression of the Roman government as much as we reject the cruel and torturous events we witness in our day. 
Surely they had tried to remain separate from Rome and from all their long line of tyrannical captors. When our Bishop Mark blesses us at the end of the Eucharist, he usually says, make no peace with oppression. And whenever I hear the bishop say that, I'm overcome with a sense of the enormous challenge of those words. After all, wiser and more powerful people than I have tried and failed in the Mideast, in Afghanistan, in Bosnia, in Syria, in South America, in Africa, in Iran. Or maybe I should concentrate on the more local forms of oppression, on immigration, on women, on the LGBTQ, on the victims of the Klan, on racial profiling. In 1963, Martin Luther King made Isaiah's text famous again when he said that he had a dream about racism. That one day every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be made low so that there would finally be human equality in this country. Even psychotherapists are looking at oppression these days. Bullying is one of the current phenomena du jour. We're all going to seminars and reading publications regarding the best way to deal with it. Bear witness to the victim we hear now. Be present with the victim and help him to insist that he be treated with dignity. It's almost scriptural in its emphasis on attending to the marginalized victim and advocating for the restoration of justice. But you know what? It's an interesting thing about bullying and oppression. Sometimes, sometimes we know the victim starts to form a relationship with the bully. Sometimes the victim kind of goes along to get along and starts to fall into the oppressor's worldview in order to soften the impact of being bullied. So when the Jews went into exile during the time of Jeremiah and Baruch, his scribe, whose lovely words of comfort we heard a little while ago, they did not all suffer. Some of them did quite well in exile. As a species, we do tend to adapt to our environment, after all. But sometimes, almost unconsciously, we adapt by closing our eyes to that which is oppressive for the sake of getting along in the world. Overwhelmed and helpless in the face of massive oppression, we begin to accept it, to act as if there were no other way, to stop imagining a life where there is justice and peace, Today, in beautiful and romantic language, the readings call us away from those compromises we have made, away from the deals we've made with the devil. They call us to imagine a world where everyone has justice, where there is abundance and joy. Advent brings us the prayers and hymns and quiet we need for imagining and dreaming. Advent is a season for allowing for the possibility of freedom. Advent is the practice of small advocacy which leads to bigger change. When I don't buy products made in countries which pay unjust wages or use children as workers, I am living Isaiah's prophecy. When I read about brutal torture of women and children in faraway places or the disproportionate incarceration of black men in this country so that I will know what to do come election time, I am trying to live in the world of exalted valleys and leveled mountains. I'm sure that you all have many other ways of standing for justice as well. It's always a bit difficult to hear the message of repentance during Advent. 
Just when one wants to be gloriously and heedlessly Christmassy, one hears from that wild man eating a locust that one must turn away from one's lifelong habits. The good news today is that the process of repentance is not a sad and shameful one. Repenting means remembering. Remembering the dream we were born with and that only we can bring true. Repenting means turning back to the God who waits for us to accept his partnership. The ancient Jews waited for centuries. We no longer wait for the coming of salvation. Our advent is not the grim watch for the prison door to be opened. Our advent is the waiting for the rebirth of the dreaming of God in our hearts. In God's mystery, our dreams are God's dreams. And we are creating the kingdom of heaven with him. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.